Section 25 of the Watergate Report, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 3. Chapter 8. The Hughes-Rebozo Investigation and Related Matters, Part 18. 12. Summary. The transmittal of $100,000 in $100 bills from Howard Hughes to President Nixon's close friend, Charles G. Rebozo, several years prior to the 1972 election, reflects a number of classic issues inherent in the furnishing of large cash contributions to political campaigns. 1. Why were cash funds furnished to a close friend of the President, rather than to any campaign official or organization? 2. Why were the funds contributed several years prior to the 1972 campaign for which they were allegedly intended, especially since Howard Hughes ultimately contributed another $150,000 in 1972 to the Finance Committee to re-elect the President? 3. Did Howard Hughes profit in any way by his contribution to Rebozo on behalf of the President? Mr. Rebozo's testimony about the matter steadfastly rejects any notion of impropriety in his receipt and handling of the two $50,000 cash contributions. He has testified that he finally agreed to accept the Hughes contribution in 1970 after rejecting it many times in 1968 and 1969 because of the possible embarrassment it might cause President Nixon that the contribution was intended solely for the president's 1972 re-election campaign that he placed the two fifty thousand dollar cash contributions in his safe deposit box without counting them and with instructions to his attorney to turn the money over to the president's campaign in case anything happened to rebozo that he subsequently destroyed these instructions sometime after the december 1970 split between hughes and mayhew thereby leaving $100,000 in $100 bills in his safe deposit box with no evidence of the money's origin or purpose. That he subsequently removed the wrappers with the words Las Vegas from the money and wrapped the money in rubber bands while again not counting the money. That he did not use any of this money for any purpose and that he returned the same identical $100 bills to Mr. Hughes in the spring of 1973 that he told only rosemary woods of the receipt of the funds until after the nineteen seventy two election when he informed president nixon and that he informed others of the contribution after he decided to return the money and that he had no discussions about the money with president nixon and mr danner on may twentieth nineteen seventy three at camp david despite the fact that the meeting occurred after rebozo had decided to return the money and before danner agreed to accept it Indeed, Rebozo has maintained in all his testimony that his initial apprehension over accepting the cash contribution from Howard Hughes was exacerbated by the very public conflict that had erupted in late November 1970 between Robert Mayhew and Howard Hughes. Had Rebozo understood the funds to be intended for the congressional races, he could easily have turned them over to the appropriate congressional campaigns prior to the conflict that later caused him such apprehension. 
and while the publicized confrontation between the hughes factions may have deterred rebozo from applying funds to any campaign for three to four years rebozo testified that he never once attempted to contact any representative of hughes any representative of the republican national committee or any representative of the president's re-election campaign to seek advice with regard to the funds until well after the 1972 presidential election in fact in early 1972 rebozo began receiving and accepting a variety of contributions properly established a bank account for such funds and acknowledged the receipt of such funds to both the donors and the finance committee to re-elect the president at no time however did he acknowledge in writing to hughes or his representatives the receipt of the one hundred thousand dollars nor did he ever notify as he did with other contributions in nineteen seventy two any campaign officials the receipt of one hundred thousand dollars until after the election while mr rebozo has always maintained that the funds were intended for the president's campaign he has also testified that he maintained the one hundred thousand dollars well after the nineteen seventy two election because he believed it could be used for the nineteen seventy four congressional campaign or nineteen seventy six presidential election mr rebozo also insists that he never discussed the contribution with the president until well after the nineteen seventy two election and that danner is mistaken in stating that he rebozo and the president met in nineteen sixty eight and discussed the possibility of obtaining a contribution from howard hughes rebozo has testified that while he met with mr danner on may eighteenth and may twentieth nineteen seventy three in washington to discuss the return of the contribution at no time was the contribution discussed in the presence of president nixon on may twentieth at camp david rebozo concedes that one of the issues discussed with danner both at a hotel in washington and at camp david before the president arrived was his desire to return the funds to danner but rebozo insists that the only topic discussed after the president arrived was danner's perception of the mood on the west coast with regard to watergate the president of course knew by the time he met with danner at camp david that rebozo had in fact been the recipient of a substantial contribution from the hughes organization the president therefore would have been fully aware that he was in the presence of the principals who had been involved in a contribution in which the irs had suddenly expressed an interest in any event president nixon through his press spokesman has denied any conversation ensued during that meeting with regard to the hughes hundred thousand dollars in addition of course the committee received evidence indicating that the president prior to his meeting on may twentieth nineteen seventy three with danner and rebozo requested rebozo to discuss with herbert kalmbach the issue of the receipt use and possible return of the hughes one hundred thousand dollars on or about april thirtieth nineteen seventy three the committee also received testimony from larry higby that on or about april thirtieth nineteen seventy three h r haldeman told higby that the president informed haldeman that rebozo had available approximately four hundred thousand dollars to defray legal fees for both haldeman and john ehrlichman much of the above information was contained in a letter chairman irvin and vice chairman baker sent to the president's counsel mr st clair on june sixth nineteen seventy four this letter contained additional specific information including evidence that the president requested that mr rebozo contact j paul getty regarding major contributions 
evidence that rebozo maintained a fund in key biscayne to take care of administration connected costs and a list of specific expenditures on behalf of the president exceeding fifty thousand dollars that were ordered and paid for by rebozo these listed expenses on president's key biscayne properties included substantial alterations of the president's home and construction and equipping of a pool for the president in his letter on behalf of president nixon dated june twentieth nineteen seventy four st clair conveyed the president's assurance that he never instructed c g rebozo to raise and maintain funds to be expended on the president's personal behalf nor so far as he knows was this ever done in addition the president through st clair declined to comment with regard to any of the expenditures amounting to over forty five thousand dollars that rebozo furnished on behalf of the president on the basis of the evidence reflected in the letter to mr st clair chairman irvin sought to provide rebozo with an opportunity to furnish information and documents to assist the committee in reviewing the evidence obtained by the staff on one occasion in fact rebozo and his counsel agreed to provide the committee with certain documents the committee had sought through subpoena and to provide additional information through testimony instead of complying with the subpoena and furnishing the documents pursuant to the agreement entered into however rebozo and counsel moved to quash the subpoena both in court and before the committee the committee by unanimous vote rejected rebozo's application and the federal district court for the district of columbia recently denied an effort to enjoin the committee's subpoena and investigation of rebozo indeed when an additional subpoena and letter was issued by chairman irvin in an effort to obtain rebozo's responses to questions based on the above described information Rebozo was in Europe, and therefore, unavailable for the process of the subpoena. As a result, certain crucial testimony and documentation which was deemed necessary by the committee to clarify the factual matters related in this report have been denied the committee, and the discrepancies and conflicts in testimony have not been finally resolved. As a result, the committee has before it evidence which suggests a number of possible alternative resolutions of the factual material presented herein one that rebozo paid for the president's expenses out of his own funds since rebozo declined to furnish the committee with all personal documents and with the pertinent documents from his bank the committee has been unable to make a judgment with regard to this matter except to the extent of determining based on the records that were provided by rebozo that the great portion of expenditures made for the president were not made out of rebozo's bank account and those made in currency were not made from rebozo's personal funds derived from known sources two that the president in effect paid for these expenses himself by later reimbursing rebozo while rebozo's refusal to produce records and the president's failure to respond to specific issues in the letter of june sixth has hampered the committee's ability to make a judgment on this issue the committee finds only one reimbursement the thirteen thousand six hundred and forty two dollar check discussed in the body of the report moreover the committee notes that the coopers and Lybrand report to the president made no mention of any outstanding liabilities due rebozo three that rebozo paid for the expenditures on behalf of the president from another source of funds the testimony and evidence before the committee indicates that the only other sources of funds available to rebozo were campaign contributions again 
the failure of key witnesses to comply with subpoenas frustrated the committee's efforts in conclusively resolving this issue the select committee diligently attempted to determine which one of these three alternative conclusions is accurate it could have undoubtedly made such a determination if rebozo had made all of the records controlled by him or his bank relating to these matters available to the committee or if the president had availed himself of the opportunity to clarify or explain these matters which was extended to him in the june sixth nineteen seventy four letter from senator irvin the committee chairman and senator baker vice chairman to his lawyer mr st clair mr rebozo persisted in his refusal to make records controlled by him or his bank relating to these matters available to the committee and placed himself beyond the reach of the committee by traveling to europe when he had reason to know that the remaining life of the committee precluded it from enforcing further subpoenas on him or others and unfortunately the president did not avail himself of the opportunity to clarify or explain the matters arising out of his dealings and relationship with rebozo in view of the above the committee finds it appropriate that the matters set forth herein be pursued further by relevant investigative bodies thirteen legislative recommendations one communications between the white house and the internal revenue service should be more strictly regulated specifically a any requests direct or indirect for information or action made to the irs by anyone in the executive office of the president up to and including the president should be recorded by the person making the request and by the irs requests and responses by the irs i e whether information was provided should be disclosed at least once a year to appropriate congressional oversight committees b on sensitive case reports which cover special cases the irs should be permitted to disclose to persons in the executive office of the president up to and including the president only the name of the person or group in the report and the general nature of the investigation c all persons in the executive office of the president up to and including the president should be prohibited from receiving indirectly or directly any income tax return d all requests for information or action and all irs responses should be disclosed periodically to the appropriate congressional oversight committees there were numerous efforts by the white house to use the irs for political purposes between nineteen sixty nine and nineteen seventy two particularly striking examples such as attempts to use the irs to harass persons perceived as enemies have already been exposed and discussed at great length by the select committee and other groups in addition there was misuse of the irs by the white house regarding the irs investigations of rebozo the president's brothers and people connected with the hughes operation because of the close relationship of several of the parties to the president questions of improper white house influence in this case are particularly acute recommendation a was prompted by examples of white house requests made regarding among others larry o'brien in the spring of nineteen seventy two the irs commissioner johnny walters decided to postpone until after the november election any further investigation of several people who had close relations to prospective presidential nominees 
these people included larry o'brien the president's brothers and charles g rebozo the decision was made as an effort to avoid any charges that the investigations were politically motivated roger barth then assistant commissioner of the irs and a source of information for the white house had told john ehrlichman that o'brien the nixon brothers and rebozo were or would be under investigation at some point in the spring of 1972 barth gave ehrlichman a copy of a sensitive case report listing these names as subjects of interest to the irs although it is not clear whether ehrlichman was told about walter's decision to postpone the investigations it is clear that ehrlichman pressured barth walters and george schultz secretary of the treasury into pursuing intensely the o'brien investigation in the hope that information damaging to o'brien might be uncovered before the election understandably ehrlichman did not push the irs on the investigations of rebozo or the nixon brothers o'brien was pursued and interviewed but rebozo and the nixon brothers were not rather than trying to ban such requests from the white house or delineate those requests that are proper the most straightforward approach is to require disclosure of all requests those that are clearly improper such as the ehrlichman request on o'brien are less likely to be made if the requesting party knows that they will be disclosed to congress there have been of course proper white house requests to the irs in this and preceding administrations there is no reason to think that the effective functioning of the white house or the irs will be impaired by the disclosure of such requests recommendation b was prompted by the select committee's discovery that sensitive case reports on people involved in some way with hughes were given regularly to john ehrlichman by roger barth apparently without the knowledge of barth's superiors including commissioner walters because some of those reports touched upon rebozo and possibly on the president himself the potential value of those reports to the white house is obvious there is no sound policy reason for providing the white house with the details of ongoing investigations and such disclosure could seriously mar the irs's reputation for impartiality there are however legitimate reasons for providing the white house with enough information on sensitive cases to identify the person or group involved and the general nature of the irs inquiry for example if the president were considering someone for appointment to a high federal position he should be able to know whether that person's tax status is under any particular scrutiny similarly the president should be able to learn whether any of his aides or intimates are under investigation limiting disclosure by the irs to identification of the party under investigation and a general statement about the investigation should provide enough information for the white house to decide what to do about the situation i e continue to support or perhaps withdraw a nomination requests for this basic information on sensitive case reports and the irs's responses to the requests would of course be disclosed to the appropriate congressional committees under recommendation a recommendation c was prompted by those instances where individuals in the executive office of the president would seek and receive copies of income tax returns generally these were the returns of individuals perceived as enemies of the white house that the returns were oftentimes sought and used for improper political purposes is clear 
a statute prohibiting the receipt of income tax returns by those in the executive office of the president would do much to curb these improper practices in addition by making receipt rather than distribution criminal the statute would eliminate those instances where returns could be obtained indirectly from a governmental agency e g a u s attorney general's office which has full disclosure with the i r s two congress should enact legislation requiring full financial disclosure by the president and vice president of the united states to the general accounting office each year of all income gifts and things of value that they or their spouses have received during the year or expenditures made for their personal benefit or the benefit of their spouses by other individuals senators irvin and talmadge voted against the recommendation because they believed that public officials should be judged on the basis of the wisdom or unwisdom of their official actions and not upon the basis of what they do or do not possess in this world's goods presently legislation requires that congressmen and senators file statements of financial disclosure each year certainly the head of the executive branch of the government should be held to no less a standard than the members of the legislature and perhaps even held to a higher standard of disclosure because of the significance of his position full financial disclosure by the president and vice president to the public each year would also help protect the office of the president ensuring that no individual occupying the office would be the object of any speculation innuendo or suggestion of impropriety regarding income gifts and expenditures in addition such a standard of full public disclosure would help to raise the ethical standards by which the public views its elected officials and would restore a measure of confidence in the workings of government examples of items which should be disclosed include the following copies of tax returns declarations statements or other documents which were made individually or jointly for the preceding year in compliance with the provisions of the internal revenue code the identity of each interest in real or personal property having a value of ten thousand dollars or more which the president or vice president or spouses owned at any time during the preceding year the identity of each trust or other fiduciary relation in which the president or vice president or spouses held a beneficial interest having a value of ten thousand dollars or more and the identity if known of each interest of the trust or other fiduciary relation in real or personal property in which he or she held a beneficial interest having a value of ten thousand dollars or more at any time during the preceding year the identity of each liability of five thousand dollars or more owned by the president or vice president or by them jointly with their spouses at any time during the preceding year and the source and value of all gifts received by the president vice president or spouses in the aggregate amount or value of fifty dollars or more from any single source received during the preceding year the information required to be filed with the gao would be made public automatically unless there were some overriding reason to protect the confidentiality of the information in such a case the information would still be available to any standing select or special committee of either house of congress upon the receipt by gao of a resolution requesting the transmission of such information three state and local bar associations should conduct a study of the attorney-client privilege in light of the abuses of the privilege uncovered during the select committee's investigations 
a strong attorney-client privilege is essential to the effective functioning of our legal system it must be broad enough to encourage full disclosure by client including disclosure of past criminal conduct at the same time the privilege should not be used to protect from disclosure communications involving violations of law and near violations that have nothing to do with the offering of legal advice by a lawyer providing information to a person who happens to be a lawyer or involving him or her in one's affairs should not automatically cloak the transaction with the protections of the privilege in at least four instances during the select committee's investigations the lawyer-client privilege has been pleaded as part of an attempt to cover up illegal or questionable activities that had nothing to do with the rendering of legal advice one mardian and liddy in the watergate cover-up two dean and segretti in the watergate dirty tricks cover-up three kalmbach and rebozo in the hughes rebozo cover-up four wakefield and rebozo also in the hughes rebozo area a review of these cases by the various bar associations should help to clarify the proper limits of the privilege and provide more detailed guidance for lawyer clients and legislative and investigative bodies end of section twenty five